Good morning. My name is Hindel Grossman, and I'm a divorce attorney, owner of the firm Grossman & Associates in Newton, Massachusetts. And today, I'm speaking with Bill Coyne, who is an estate planning attorney. His firm is called Boston Legacy Planning, based in Newton and Needham. Welcome to Inside Divorce. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Hindel. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? I've been an attorney focusing on trust and estate planning for about 20 years now. Before that, I did litigation, so I have some background in the, the, in court? the courts. Uh-huh. And I actually did some divorce, a few cases, decided uh-huh. early on I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but the focus has really been long-term planning for families for estate planning and business succession planning. Fantastic. And how can people reach you if they want to contact you about an estate plan? They can call me. Yeah. My number is 617-624-3350 uh-huh. or go to my website. Which uh, is? The website is www.bostonlegacylaw.com. So today we're going to be talking about divorce relative to trusts and how trusts are handled in divorce as an asset or an income stream. So I'm wondering if you could tell us first, what is a trust? So let me tell you first what a trust is not. Because I think many people think of a trust as an entity like a corporation or an LLC or something like that. A trust is not that. A trust is a relationship between three people involving a transfer of property. So a a trust involves somebody creating a trust, somebody we call the trust maker, who's also called the donor or settlor, lots of different terms are used. That's the person who creates the trust. They then will transfer title to the property to another person called a trustee. The trustee is the legal owner and responsible for managing the property. And the trustee has to manage the property according to the instructions of the trust maker for the benefit of other people called the beneficiaries. So in any trust, you're going to have a trust maker, you're going to have a trustee, and you're going to have beneficiaries. And the rules about the relationship between those three people is really what a trust is all about. Okay. So a trust is usually a written document, right? It can be oral, but most of them are written. Okay. And are the beneficiaries identified in this trust document? Yeah. There's a problem with a trust if the beneficiaries are not identified, may not be valid. So typically they are identified. Okay. And do the beneficiaries always know that they are beneficiaries? No. Unfortunately. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, but it's not unusual for parents to draft a trust in which family members are beneficiaries and then not tell the family members about it. Okay. So that's something that comes up in the divorce context where one of the spouses doesn't know that they're a beneficiary of a trust. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So when you say property gets transferred to a trust, what kind of property are you talking about? It could be anything. It could be cash. It could be investment accounts. It could be real estate. It could be business interest. It could be stock in a corporation or an LLC. Anything that you can own you can put into a trust. And how does a how does property get transferred into the trust? The normal way you would transfer property. So if it's real estate, there would be a deed. If it's a bank account, you would change the title on the signature cards. If it's an investment account, you would change the titling on the account. So it's just in the way you would title anything else. Okay. So I guess part of ensuring that a trust actually owns this other property, there has to be a transfer into the trust of the property. The trust would be valid but it wouldn't be particularly useful. So I like to say that a trust without any assets in it is about as useful as a car without any gas in it. All right. Good analogy. 
So for a trust to be useful, it needs to have the property transferred into it. Otherwise, it's kind of an empty vessel, so to speak. That's correct. That's exactly right. All right. So if you're a beneficiary of a trust, is that considered marital property? So that ends up being a very complicated situation. Yes. That's the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And so essentially, it's going to depend very much on how the trust is set up and what the rules are. And it's very important that you read the specific trust because somebody who creates a trust has a lot of leeway in deciding what the rules are going to be. So you need to look very carefully at the rules and you need to understand that the rules can change. The rules in the trust document. The rules in the trust. So the trust, for example, can say that my beneficiaries are entitled to income from the trust but not principal. They can say they're entitled to principle of the trust, but not now, not until later. Okay. So you need to understand when people have rights that are enforceable. The rights in the trust can be conditional so that you could say that my child will have access to principle of the trust when they turn 35 years old, yeah. for example. Or sometimes you have a situation where in order to uh, deal with drug addiction or gambling addictions or things like that, that there will be a limit on distributions while the person is using, Uh for example, so that there can be a lot of very complicated rules about that. And another analogy I would make is when it comes to property, trusts are very sophisticated. So a, a deed would be like an ax. A trust is more like a scalpel. You can be very specific upon the, about the kind of rights that a trust beneficiary has when you're creating the trust. So can you describe that a little bit more, the deed and the scalpel analogy? Yes. Well, so for example, when you give a deed to somebody, normally you're transferring your entire right, title, and interest in the property to that person. Okay. Before the deed was transferred, you owned it 100%, could do whatever you want with it without restriction. After the deed, the other person can do whatever they want with it without restriction. A trust is usually a transfer with strings. All right. So I can transfer an investment account mm-hmm. to a child, mm-hmm. but retain the right to the income myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can divide up property different ways. You can say that the child will have the right to the income from this property for five years, yeah. and then the income will come back to me. Okay so that you can be very specific about what somebody gets out of the trust at what time. And unfortunately, when judges read trusts, they very often do not pay attention to those kind of particulars. Very detailed. So why would someone put a property into a trust? Well, there are lots of reasons. So one reason is that it avoids probate. Everybody hears about the value of avoiding probate. Most people don't know what probate is. They know they want to avoid it. What is it? Um, Well, probate is the process by which property gets taken care of if you become disabled and how it gets transferred after you die. And basically, it's a procedure that goes through the probate court in which a judge oversees appoints the appropriate person, looks over their shoulder to make things are done right. And people tend not to like it because it takes too long, costs too much, and it's public. Things are filed in court. And there's a judge involved. And there's a judge involved. So property that is owned by a trust does not go through probate, which Uh goes back to my car analogy, Uh right? If your property is in a trust, you'll avoid probate. If you have a trust that doesn't own property, you'll still go through probate. 
People also use trusts for tax planning reasons. You can do tax planning with trusts. People will do trust to manage property. So if I become disabled, I can appoint somebody else to look after my property, and I can set the rules Uh for how I will be taken care of when I become disabled. Uh And you can also set the rules for how property will be distributed to children. So you might have one child who is a hedge fund manager in Wall Street and somebody else who is a stay-at-home husband. Okay. They may have different degrees of sophistication, so you may want to have different rules for them. So you may want to say that one of them will have the assistant. Somebody will have a co-trustee to help them. You can say that they will be trained about investment management before they get to make decisions. So you can be very detailed about the kinds of help that you think your family needs. And trusts are a great way to do that. Right. So also it means that a trust maker isn't giving a piece of property outright to someone. They're putting it into the trust with these strings. That's correct. Now, with these restrictions. That's right. Now, sometimes there are a number of trusts that will say that uh, the property is in trust. And after my death, the trustee will distribute it to the child outright. So that trust may be successful to avoid probate. And there may be some tax advantages. But it will not do the management. And the other thing it won't do that a lot of my clients want for their trust is it will not provide any protection for the children. So, for example, if I leave property outright to my child and that child is then in a horrific accident in which they hit a school bus, cause massive damages, children are dead, children are maimed. They have judgments of tens of millions of dollars. Anything I gave to that child outright is going to get scooped up. It's gone. Uh Property that is left to them in the school bus situation is going to be protected. And then... Thus the creditor protection. Thus the creditor protection. That expression. Mm -hmm. And that's really creditor protection is about making sure that the money that I leave for my children doesn't get taken away by people that I don't want it to go to, like their creditors, which gets us right to the divorce situation because the rules in divorce are different. Trust protections that would work in the school bus situation may not work in the divorce situation. Are there many different kinds of trusts? Yes. I mean, there are two main kinds. There are revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts. A revocable trust is one that if I create it, I can change it at any time. I can Uh revoke it, Uh hence revocable or revocable. Uh I can add stuff, take stuff out, change the rules anytime I want. Uh An irrevocable trust is one that I've created in which I have given up the right to change the terms of the trust. I see. Typically. It doesn't mean that somebody else can't change it, but I can't change it. And long-term trusts tend to be irrevocable trusts. Advanced tax planning trusts tend to be irrevocable trusts. And most of the cases that come up in the divorce context are irrevocable trusts. Oh, is that your experience? Yes. Tell me about that. The reason is that a revocable trust does not provide any creditor protection for me. So if I set up a revocable trust and I go through a divorce... Because I have complete control over that trust, it's marital property. Mm -hmm. So there's not much, there are no real issues about that. The issues in divorce come up not during my lifetime, 
But after I'm gone, when I have left property and trust for my wife or my child, that trust is now irrevocable, right? It was revocable when I was alive because I could change it. Once I'm dead, it becomes an irrevocable trust. And that's typically what you're finding in, in divorce cases. I see. So can you expand on the concept of divorce and the assets of a trust and the uh, vulnerability of trust assets? Yes. I would say you, if you start with the principle that creditors stand in the shoes of the debtors, that they can get whatever they can get, what you have in divorce is that when the divorce laws were amended to add Section 34 that allows division of property, the idea was to liberalize the concept of what could be divided between the parties. And at one point in 1980, trusts had a great deal of protection. Over the year, there were a number of decisions. That protection was eroded until we had a decision from the appeals court, I think in 2015, that basically wiped away The protection, a lot of that was restored by the Supreme Judicial Court in 2017. But you still have a situation in divorce where the definition of when rights are vested is looser than it would be in other contexts. So very often, one of the questions in a divorce where there is a trust is, can the other spouse reach into this trust? And sometimes we have a situation where the spouse, Mm -hmm. who is not a beneficiary Mm -hmm. of the trust, has greater rights in the trust than the beneficiary spouse. And that, I think, is problematical from an estate planning point of view, but it's something you see in divorce. All right, so what we're talking about is a situation where spouses are divorcing. One of the spouses is a beneficiary of a trust, has rights, therefore, in Mm -hmm. trust property, whatever that property is. And the question is, is it a vested beneficial right during the divorce or not? Is that Have I said that right? Right, but the word vested is kind of a charged word because the courts have not applied that term evenly over the years. And even in the divorce decisions in Massachusetts, the meaning of the term vested has changed from one decision to another. Ah, So that's where the risk is, what the judge will do with the word vested or the interpretation of a trust. And I think rather than focusing on the vague concept of whether rights are vested, it's better to look at the specifics of the situation. And I think if you want to have a sense of whether a trust of which you're a beneficiary or your spouse is a beneficiary, there are certain things that you can look at to help figure out what rights exist in the trust. What specific terms do we look for in a trust to determine whether they're vulnerable in a divorce? So you first of all want to look at what role in the trust the beneficiary has. So did they create the trust themselves? Is it revocable or irrevocable? That makes a difference. Are they a trustee of the trust? Now, normally that's not a factor by itself. The fact that you're a trustee of a trust doesn't make those assets available in a divorce Uh unless you're also a beneficiary. So if you have the power to give assets to yourself, you have less creditor protection. But the real focus is the beneficiary. So you look at what rights does a beneficiary have. So do they have a right to get trust income? So if you're a beneficiary, you're the most vulnerable. Is that right? I would say you're most vulnerable if you created the trust. That's called a self-settled trust, and you get very little protection that way. All right. Second would be as a beneficiary. So if you're, and this is generally what the fighting is about, because that's where the issues are. 
as a beneficiary, you want to see, does the beneficiary have a right to income and principal or just income? You want to find out when that right vests, to use that uh-huh. word. At what point does the beneficiary get that? Yeah. What is the distribution standard? And that's a big deal. Trusts sometimes say that the trustee is required to give property to mm-hmm. the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. Trust will sometimes say that the beneficiary has the right to demand trust property. Mm-hmm. The trustee doesn't have to give it to them until they ask, but once they ask, they have to give it to them. Got it. The trust will very often say that the trustee either shall or may pay money for the beneficiary for their health, education, maintenance, and support, some other language. Yeah. That's a support standard. Sometimes the trust will say, that the trustee may, in its discretion, pay money for health, education, maintenance, and support. Yeah. Sometimes it will say the trustee can give money or not purely in their discretion, in the sole discretion of the trustee. Okay. And what we just went through is kind of a spectrum from the least protective to the most protective. So it's very important to look at the distribution standard. Once again, the combination of whether the beneficiary is a trustee combined with the standard, Mm. can affect that. And it's very important in Massachusetts that you look at the history of distributions. Mm -hmm. So even if distributions aren't required, if there's been this pattern of distributions, courts are much more likely to say there is a vested right in the trust. Yeah, in divorce context, the history is really important. If there is a a history of distributions from that trust of a certain amount, not even a fixed amount always, but just some distributions to one of the spouses and how that distribution is used by the spouses in their lifestyle, those are critical factors. Yeah, and I, as an estate planner, I think that should not be the case because the rights in the trust are the rights in the trust Discretion is discretion. The fact that I chose to give money to somebody last year doesn't mean I have to give it to them next year. Yeah. But you are absolutely right. In my experience, when I review the cases, the courts look at that history of distributions and are much more likely to find the trust assets are available. So the way the trust is administered is, is a big deal. Right. And then finally, you need to look, if you want to know the beneficiary's rights, you can't just look at the trust. You have to look at the Mass Uniform Trust Code which was adopted a few years ago, and now has default provisions. So if the trust doesn't have language on something, the statute will take over and may put rights into the trust. Uh So this ends up being mind-numbingly complicated. Mm -hmm. And the, the real bottom line for people is you don't want to try to do this at home. You really need <laughs> an expert. Review it with yeah. somebody who has some expertise on trusts yeah. because there are a lot of things that can affect it. Yeah. Another big factor is whether other people are beneficiaries of the trust. Uh-huh. So sometimes you on my death, my trust gets divided into two shares, one for each of my children, 50-50, each one has control over their share. It's very different if I leave a single trust for both of my kids in which they each have rights, because as soon as the money of one of them is taken out of the trust, that money is no longer available for the other one. Uh So things called common trusts or pot trusts ought to be more protective. Uh The Fan and Steel case was one that involved a pot trust, and the court ignored the fact that it was a common trust, and I think there are some serious issues with that. And then the other thing you need to look at is whether the beneficiary's rights can be changed. So uh-huh. if somebody's going to inherit property under a will, yeah. 
the courts will typically say that that's a mere expectation, uh-huh. right? My my mother leaves me all of her property in her will, and she has twenty seven billion dollars, right? How much of that is marital property? Yeah, zero, uh-huh. because the money I'm going to get from inheritance from a will is just an expectation, uh-huh. because she can always change the will. Uh-huh. Courts tend not to take that same approach to trust, and they should, because in trust there are these things called powers of appointment. Yeah. So I leave property to my wife in a trust. On my death, it goes to my two kids. But I give my wife the right to change the rules uh-huh. of those two trusts. So she, my wife could decide that all of the money is going to go to one child or the other, which means that those children really only have an expectancy. The way you would have not with a will, absolutely right. Not a vet, go back to the legal term, yeah, vested. vested right. But courts tend to look through that, so you really need to look at the ways that which a trust could be changed before deciding what a beneficiary's rights are as well. All right. So, say for example, someone's thinking about getting divorced, mm-hmm. and they do know that they're a beneficiary of a trust, let's say that their parents created. What do you suggest to that person interested in getting divorced? They do about that status as a beneficiary? Well, they should try to find out. They can find out if their parents are willing to show them a copy of the trust, and then they should review it and and have it reviewed so that they have an understanding of what a probate court judge might do with that. And again, because there's a wide range, because judges don't always understand trust very well, you can't be sure, but you can have a much better idea Uh, whether that is going to be vulnerable. And that gets to be important because trusts can be changed to make them less vulnerable. All right. And do beneficiaries typically have any rights to get the trust changed? Or is it just under the control of the settlor or the trustee? So typically the beneficiary does not have a right on their own to change a trust that somebody else created. Yeah. There is a way where if all the beneficiaries concur under the Uniform Trust Code, a trust can be amended. Yeah. The difficulty with that would be that I think a court would maybe be skeptical if somebody who was about to get a divorce got the family together and said, let's change my trust. So it's more likely that if there's going to be a change, very bad optics, and it's the kind of optics that led to the result in that fan and steel decision. It was exactly that kind of family circling the wagons that led to the bad decision. If it's a matter of a trust where the parents are still alive, so it's still a revocable trust, the parents could change the trust to make it more protective. Got it. And there are also ways in which an irrevocable trust can be changed. Yeah. There's something called decanting. Yeah. And you remember how I talked about the assets making the trust go the way it makes a car go? Transferring the property into the trust, yes. That's right. So Mm -hmm. what you can do is you can take the assets in one trust and put them over into another trust. Oh, brilliant. Take them out of a trust that's not protective and put them into a protective trust. And there was an important case last year in which the Supreme Judicial Court allowed the decanting to happen. Uh Uh-huh. But specifically said, we are going to reserve the question whether it's against Massachusetts public policy to do this decanting solely for the purpose of getting them out of the marital estate. Got it. So I think it would need to be done in some other, a broader estate planning context. You would need to, if you were going to try the decanting, 
you would need to be very careful about that. Trust can also be changed sometimes by a trust protector, uh-huh. which is somebody who is put into the trust and specifically given the ability to make changes. And then the other thing that could happen if the parents are amending the trust, they might put a provision in there that would involve a prenup. So, for example, most of my clients who have revocable living trusts would like some protection in case their spouse remarries. Uh Most of my younger clients, once Uh they're in their 70s and 80s, they seem to be a little less concerned about that. Uh But the idea is that there will be a rule that my spouse has access to 100% of the principal of my trust unless, in my case, unless she gets remarried, in which case she loses access to the principal. Uh But if she signs a prenup uh-huh. before the wedding, uh-huh. then she will have access to principal again. What that does is that lets her get remarried, but go to her new spouse and say, if we want to have access to the money in that trust, we need to sign a prenup. And the idea is the prenup not only protects the money in my trust for my kids, it's also going to protect the money in her trust. So I, you do that very commonly. You could put a similar provision in the trust for children. Mm-hmm. So remember, a lot of the trust rules are conditional. Yes. So you could say, if my child gets divorced, they are no longer allowed to be the trustee of their trust. Okay. If they get divorced, the distribution standard is going to change. Yeah. Before it was a liberal support standard. Yeah. Now it's purely discretionary, and a third person decides whether they're going to get anything. Uh But if they sign a prenup, they can resume their status as a trustee or with a more liberal standard. So it is possible, again, to make changes on which you do not have fingerprints by the person (laughs) who's getting divorced Uh for reasons that are not solely to avoid inclusion in the marital trust property that I think could be very effective to protect trust property in the event of a divorce. Really, all parents creating trusts where their children are the beneficiaries should have some protections in there for pre- with the prenup reference. It could happen anywhere, anyone. And I review a lot of trusts, and I don't think I've ever seen remarriage protection, even for the spouse, uh-huh. except in my own trust. Except the ones you draft. And yeah. they, they should be. Every yeah. I think every trust should have that. That's brilliant. Great term to include. That's really great. Well, I've learned a lot today about trust assets relative to divorces and maybe how to protect them a little better. And so I want to thank you, Bill, for today's educational session on trusts. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.